This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. This is Randy Zuckerberg Means Business on Business Radio. Hi, everyone. Randy Zuckerberg here. Thank you so much for joining us today on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132 for my show, Randy Zuckerberg Means Business. It definitely feels strange coming to you live from my own desk at home where uh, my family is sheltering in place like so many other millions of families around the world to help flatten the curve. Um, but it's it's a new world out there, and I'm very excited to be coming to you from my new little home studio here. I think a crisis like this definitely says a lot about companies and how they treat their employees, how they treat their customers. And I have to say that as a, a host of Sirius XMs for almost six years now, um, I've been very grateful to both how they've treated their hosts during this during this time, making it so easy to seamlessly set up from home, and also what they're doing for listeners. SiriusXM is making the entire platform free and available, even without a subscription to anyone um, through mid-May right now, and so... I know I feel very grateful to that because we could all use whether it is, you know, 24 seven news about the coronavirus crisis or entertainment and joy or your favorite talk show hosts or right here on business radio. Uh, we could all use a little distraction right now. I'm very glad that you chose to join this hour of your week with me. And I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. We have some terrific information. We're going to be starting at the top of the show, talking about the impact of the pandemic on connectivity, technology, and business. And so I'm thrilled to welcome Casey Newton, Silicon Valley editor for The Verge. Casey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Randy. How's how's your life looking right now? <laughs> uh, extremely confined to a handful of walls. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have it pretty good for a San Franciscan. Like, I have my own place. So I don't have, uh, you know, roommates or, or children uh, crawling on top of me. So I'm counting my blessings. You know what? That is ideal. And since this is my first live broadcast from doing it from home studio, I fully expect that at some time, one of my three children will burst in here. So I, I apologize to you and to all of our listeners when that happens. But I guess that's, that's just real world for all of us right now. Um, oh, yeah. Casey, <laughs> um, Casey, you, um, I mean, you do so many incredible things. Um, you're the Verge's primary source for Silicon Valley news, reporting on people and products shaping the future of technology. You have a fantastic daily newsletter, The Interface, that I highly encourage everyone to check out, exploring the intersection of tech and democracy. So what what is surprising you right now, aside well, from everything? <laughs> I, think, I think we've seen a real... Um philosophical change from the big tech companies during this crisis. Um, I think in the aftermath of the 2016 election, a lot of the criticism that big tech companies got was uh, about the fact that they seemed hesitant to intervene when they saw uh, misinformation, uh, hate speech, and other bad forms of content spreading on their networks. And so we've sort of been debating that for a few years. And, and so what was surprising was that as the coronavirus began its spread around the world, we saw 
uh, Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, all act pretty quickly to try to stop the spread of, of misinformation and actually insert vetted high-quality information from the Centers for Disease Control and World Health Organization very prominently in their feeds. And that was just a, a real shift, and it's been very interesting to watch it unfold. I completely agree. And it is very interesting to see, especially they, they do seem to be stepping up with a new sense of responsibility around, okay, we understand that this is where people are getting their news and their information from. And so we, we need to do something here. Um, talk about video conferencing because video conferencing apps saw a record, something like 60 or 70 million new downloads during one week alone in March. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a world where no one can leave the house, video conferencing is suddenly the only way that we can see, uh, you know, not just our, our coworkers or business contacts, but but also our friends and family, right? And so a lot of people around the world are learning how to use Zoom and House Party and, and Google Hangouts, and it's become kind of the, the default way to uh, communicate in, in this era. Do you think, Casey, do you think people will actually go back to offices after this? Or do you think they'll realize that um, everything is, you know, most of the things that we do can actually be accomplished over video conference? Well, I feel like most of the parents I know will run screaming from their houses the moment (laughs) they are allowed to just to get a moment of peace. Um, so I think that, yes, people will go back to the office with some enthusiasm. Uh, you know, even though I I am uh, childless, um, I've always loved working in an office, uh, even though, you know, my job as as a writer makes it pretty easy for me to stay home. Uh, but I've just always loved something about being in the context of work. I love having coworkers around me. I love there being a water cooler (laughs) to, to gather around. And I don't think any of that is going to go away. Now, what I do think is it's going to take us a really long time to get back to the office because questions about once we have hopefully flattened the curve and once the worst of the crisis is over, how do we develop a plan to reopen businesses and get people back on you know, the subway to work? These are really complicated questions, and I haven't seen any good answers for them yet. You're right. I I hope that we net out somewhere in the middle of where we were before and where we are now. I mean, obviously, no. where we are now is not sustainable. But I, I do think when you look at, you know, at least the environmental impact of people traveling less, and I think that hopefully there is some kind of a happy medium in the middle where we can all be more conscious about our behaviors and our consumption of things while also getting out of our homes. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And also, you know, one thing I have learned during this uh, crisis is that it seems like a lot of people just never really had the flexibility to work from home. You know, I, I think a lot of us have been blessed to work for organizations that are fairly permissive when it comes to you wanting to stay home because you're having a package delivered or you have something you need to take care of around the house. But a lot of people don't. And that's made life needlessly complicated for a lot of folks. And so for anyone who was struggling to get that flexibility beforehand, I do hope that that is kind of a, a lasting small benefit of this you know, terrible time that we're in. For sure. Casey, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the current supply chain issues. There's a lot of talk out there in the news about supply chain as it refers to medical equipment and getting medical equipment. But I I think people are not really thinking and talking enough about how the supply chain impacts pretty much everything that we engage with in, in technology and business as well. Yeah. Well, look, if you have tried to place a grocery order on Amazon in the past 
couple of weeks, you have seen the fragility of our supply chain, right? Uh, all of a sudden, we're realizing how um, how much we're relying on uh, grocery workers, delivery drivers, warehouse workers, just to to get food in in our bellies. And um, and unfortunately, these systems, I think, have not proven quite as resilient as we hoped. Um, I, I read a great story in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that said that uh, the average orders um, uh, coming through an Amazon warehouse every day are now up about 40 percent from wow. year over year. Um, so Amazon is basically having Black Friday-like conditions every day now, and they're not built for it. And of course, they have workers who are getting sick in their fulfillment centers. And so, you know, even though uh, we have allowed these essential businesses to, to stay open and to, to get us supplies, you know, they're not immune to the virus any more than the rest of us are. So it's uh, it's something I'm personally very concerned about. Same. I mean, I've been trying to place an order for paper towels for the last two weeks. And so that per- the supply chain has very personally broken down at my house. Um I- and I mean, now we're seeing like you were I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that with with the fact that workers are are vulnerable at these companies, too, because we're also seeing, um, a, you know, a, a new labor movement, really, when it comes to especially yeah. with Amazon and Instacart and, and workers striking or workers speaking out about conditions there. What, what are you seeing? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, I think for workers who were working for Amazon and Instacart in particular, uh, there had been a a long and unfortunate history of mistreatment. Uh, you know, just sort of like if Google Instacart and Amazon and labor, and you will find a raft of stories. At Amazon in particular, uh, there's a this growing body of investigative reporting which has found how likely workers are to become injured at Amazon fulfillment centers, and it's way higher than you would find at a similar warehouse for another company. And all that was true before this crisis started. So Amazon's workforce for a variety of reasons had been just under a great deal of strain. And then you introduce a global pandemic. And and all of a sudden, it really has caused a a crisis within Amazon. And I think workers uh, realize that they probably had more leverage in this moment than they ever would, right? Mm -hmm. Because Amazon just won't work without them. And so we've seen cases where uh, upwards of 60% of workers will simply not come in for their shifts as a protest against not receiving hazard pay, not uh, receiving what they view to be um, appropriate uh, like safety equipment um, and, and other issues. And, and Amazon, to its credit, has actually caved on some of these things and it has given workers a raise and it, it has taken steps just to ensure that they show up to work. So. Amazon workers um, and Instacart workers have won some important concessions during this period, but, um, you know, strikes are still going on even today. uh, And I expect we'll see more before all of this is over. For sure. And, you know, maybe that will be another positive offshoot of this if, if yeah. you know, it is possible to have positive offshoots, which is that um, there's been debate for so long about the rights of gig workers in the economy. Yeah. And uh, I think for the first time we are seeing the importance of gig workers. And, and you're right, they, they do seem to have more leverage now in, in some of those debates. So hopefully we'll see something coming out of that. I also want to switch gears for a moment to um, location-based data. We're starting to see um, a lot of countries around the world are using location data to monitor spread of the disease or enforce quarantines. Um, Maybe you can share a little bit about how this works and some of your thoughts if this could ever happen in the United 
United States or if it's just a no-go here? Yeah, it's a, it's a really fascinating debate, and it's been moving really quickly. Um, different companies have uh, been using location data in various ways. Probably the most extreme way that I've seen is in Taiwan, where if you have been ordered to uh, shelter in place by, by the government because you have been exposed to the virus, uh, they will use your smartphone to create a kind of electronic fence around your home. And if you leave or even turn off your phone, they will notify the like public health authorities and you will get a phone call asking you what you're doing. Um, wow. Other cases, though, have been slightly less, I mean, arguably just as invasive, but haven't kind of carried that threat of enforcement. So in England, for example, um, the, the government is working with a telecom there to get data about um, sort of aggregated anonymized data about are people leaving their homes or are they respecting social distancing? And um, we actually have seen moves to do something similar in the United States, um, state and local governments have been working with mobile ad networks, which, of course, collect very uh, detailed, uh, some would say invasive data about our movement patterns. And, um, and and there's been reporting over the weekend that state and local and maybe even the CDC um, uh, government officials are looking at this kind of data to understand are people respecting social distancing. Um, that data can also agree to which um, – the economy is uh, being impacted because you can sort of um, see how foot traffic patterns have, have followed in various stores. So I think we're going to see more pressure to use location data. Um, and, and I myself, am actually pretty open to it. Uh, you know, what? I am too. And it's one of those things where um, it's like health data. Like there, there's kind of that initial jarring reaction of like, wait, but I want my data to be private. But, but, um, but I know that in aggregating millions of people's data, it's helpful. And I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how we navigate that push and pull through this. Casey, in our final moments together, um, I, I'm just curious your your thoughts on what the next few weeks looks like for all of us, uh, especially in, in tech and yeah. business. Yeah, I mean, I think I wish I had better news. I mean, I, I think there's a very good chance that these next three weeks, like we will look back on as, as some of the most wrenching in our lives, right? Um, the, I do think that we're going to see a, a, a spike in, in deaths. Um, you know, for those of us in, in, in tech and in, in business, you know, many of us have the privilege of, of staying indoors and, and avoiding, um, hopefully, you know, you know exposure. Um but we're also going to be looking at screens all day that are going to be sharing really, really bad news. Um, and so I just think it's important for everyone to take care of your own mental health. Uh, you know, if you can step away, do. Um, but then when you do have that free time, just look around and, you know, see if you can help, see if you can donate. Is there a cause you can contribute to? Um, can you give your delivery drivers all ridiculous tips, right? Like these are the mm -hmm. things that we can do in this moment. And then hopefully once the crisis passes, we can, you know, talk more about rebuilding. Thank you so much, Casey. Where can our listeners keep up with you, subscribe to your newsletter and, and uh, follow up? Sure. So I'm on Twitter at Casey Newton. Uh, there's a link to subscribe to my newsletter there, or you can find it at theverge.com slash interface. Excellent. Casey Newton, thank you so much for joining us today. Highly encourage everyone to sign up for your daily newsletter, The Interface, exploring the intersection of tech and democracy. Really appreciate your, your time today in this difficult situation. And I just wish you um, health and safety over the next few weeks. It was my pleasure. And I wish all the same for you, Randy. Thank you so much, Casey. Talk soon.
All right. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for for tuning in for that. It was great to have Casey Newton, Silicon Valley editor for The Verge, joining us at the top of the show on the coronavirus pandemic's impact on connectivity and technology. Um, I know that it is at the top of all of our brains right now. In fact, for me, I actually find myself having to set limits on how often I check the news around the pandemic. I am now down to about one hour after the kids go to bed at night is what I'm allowed to look at. Otherwise, I find it takes a, quite a toll on my own mental health. I'm interested in in all of you out there, what you're thinking. I also, I just want to take one moment before we go uh, to the rest of the show, just to give eternal gratitude and thanks to everyone on the front lines who are working in hospitals who are working in essential jobs right now who are not able to stay home and and be safe with their families. So um, just incredible gratitude to people working in all of those business functions right now. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 